0: It's time for Rescuers, the show about people who change and save lives. Now, here's your host,
1: Art Brooks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rescuers Radio Show. Uh, Heard every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360 and faithtalk1360.com. Please go to our website, rescuersradioshow.org, where you can hear all the shows to date. I think we're closing in on 130 uh, last count, but um, and we're in our third year. But uh, you'll also find a red, little red button on the on that site. We are a listener a supported ministry, so if you if your heart is moved to uh, donate a little money, that would be really awesome. So uh, my guest today, I'm just really excited about. I've only physically met him once through four today, and uh, that was at a town hall that was going on at uh, Solid Rock uh, uh, Teen Centers. But Jeff Taylor, uh, government affairs and um, Arizona registered lobbyist. But beyond this, uh, beyond this story, will will and has changed and saved many lives. But uh, Jeff, good to have you this morning and and on the show. Thank you, Art. I'm I'm happy to be here and good to meet you today. Well, before we uh, begin, uh, for uh, I'm going to. I always start start the shows with allowing our audience to get to know who you are. So, how about uh, your backstory? How did you get to this point in your life? And uh, then we'll drill deep deep into the the other things about you.
2: Well, Art, it's been a long and arduous road to this microphone today. Um, had a um, Had a wonderful childhood. I grew up here in Phoenix, and a uh, good family. And was the last of six children, kind of a Brady Bunch family. So my parents, my birth mother and father, were divorced when I was five, and my mother lived in San Diego, and my father lived here in Phoenix. And he remarried uh, when I was ten, and I moved from San Diego. I was living with my mother in San Diego with my older brother, and when my father remarried, uh, my mother uh, thought that it would be great, you know, to have, you know, this family and really growing older and needed a father in my life. And so I was shuttling back and forth and moved over here to Phoenix in fourth grade. I went to grade school here and then went to Central High School kind of then. Um, not really an inner city school back then, although it is now. Um, but back then it was more of a North Phoenix, which is North Phoenix is now Central Phoenix <laughs> our growth. Um, had some... Uh, Aspirations to be an athlete. So I always played little league, uh, played golf ever since I was about five years old, basketball, baseball. So football, basketball, and baseball, and golf. In high school, I got some size. So I'm six foot four, you know, about 180 pounds in high school. Oh. And then I got some speed. So I kind of focused my efforts really in baseball and in football. And I had a goal, and that was to become a first-team all-state, Arizona all-state football player. And I reached that goal, and because of my size, I was being recruited by a lot of the major NCAA football schools. Mm -hmm. And I ended up going down to University of Arizona. U of A at the time was number nine in the nation. They just finished um, a season where they were nine and two for some of your listeners of our (laughs) (laughs) generation. They'll remember uh, the catch that John Jefferson made that uh, beat U of A. And ASU that year was ranked number two in the nation and just finished an undefeated season. So the Arizona schools were very strong in NCAA football. So I went down to U of A to play football and was injured my sophomore year. And I'd never really been injured before. Mm -hmm. And it was a pretty severe injury. I would stepped into a sprinkler hole on the uh, while I was being tackled on the practice field, and really it was a career-ending knee injury. And I was given narcotic pain medication. Now we know a lot about that today, yeah. but back then we didn't know a lot about it. So really, the first experience that I had with uh, any mind altering substance, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't drink in high school. I didn't uh, use marijuana in high school. We had a group of friends that were all aligned like that. Um well that's kind of a lie. I did you know, I did have one really bad experience with Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill, which was <laughs> which was enough for me. And was it in a paper bag? It <laughs> ended up that way, I think. <laughs> so you know, I was a good kid. Uh my entire freshman year at University of Arizona. Uh I didn't drink at all. Which is saying something going down to U of A in Tucson. (laughs) And then I'm prescribed this narcotic pain medication. Now, at the same time, I was worried about, you know, am I uh, ever going to play football again? And the answer to that was no. I was worried about getting around on campus. My leg was in a cast. It's a big campus. Falling behind in school for the knee surgery. So I have this anxiety. And then I take a pill, and that would just go away. Everything was okay. Yeah. Now, nothing in my life changed mm-hmm. except that narcotic hit my bloodstream, and it gave me a false sense of well-being is what I, how I describe it today. Now, I didn't get addicted to opioid pain relievers back then, but it sure parked in my brain that whatever is in this pill really works for me. Ended up getting, uh, after four years, I was pretty lucky. I got a job um, in a what then was an older man's business in a stock brokerage trading firm, a very prestigious firm here in Arizona, the oldest firm here in Arizona, and then kind of thrown into the shark pit of trading securities, and high volume, high stress, high anxiety business. What was the year? This was in 1980. Okay. So from 1980 to 1989, I had very good mentors, very good training, Really good examples of some extremely bright people around me, and I was able to build a very successful business and really creating wealth for people that really didn't need it, quite frankly. So in October of 87, the stock market had its biggest down day ever, Mm -hmm. and it was the biggest loss of wealth in this country in a single day, more than 1929 by far. Wow. 1929 took a while. This was in two hours, and the stock market dropped 509 points, which percentage-wise was 22% in a two-hour period. And I just happened to be 100% short the market, meaning you make money going down. So made more money in that day for my clients and myself than I did in the prior – at that time, seven, eight years of trading – and trading is really, you know, securities trading is really glorified gambling. The rules were changing, more and more computers were taking over, making decisions, and I knew that I was losing really the skills that I had developed. So I knew I'd probably leave the business. I hung around for another couple years and at the age of 29 I left that business at the absolute peak of my career. Uh, During that time I had uh, gotten married and had built a house in Mexico um, with my wife's family. And then during my 20s, I had the fastest production car on the planet in the driveway (laughs) and was owned for cash. Mm. But what was well hidden and well financed at that time was an increasing and, uh, you know, my biggest fear was being found out. But narcotics on Wall Street were – really kind of accepted as long as you were making money for the firm and your clients. Wow. It's a very enabling business back then. I don't yeah. know if, if art if you've seen The Wolf of Wall Street. I have. <laughs> well I have not <laughs> I've seen the trailer. <laughs> and that's a little too close to home for me. Um, so I wasn't that bad, but uh, it was a very enabling business. So Now I'm basically, you know, not working. Um, I have not serious Wall Street money, but I'm comfortable. And I just start making really bad decisions and just start peeling off and peeling off, you know, assets, selling them for below market value. And people say, did you spend all your money on drugs? And it's actually a very small portion. It's just on really irresponsible behaviors and, as I said, decision making. So this is the power of addiction. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking great, age of 29, This what society would identify me as being a success, looking, like I said, looking like I am doing well. And then inside I was just dying because I was uh, addicted to uh, the drug of choice on Wall Street, which is cocaine. And it will take everything. So um, four years later, I'm living on the streets of Phoenix. Wow. So uh, that's a pretty long way to drop.
1: Everything else gone.
2: Everything's gone. I literally ended up with the clothes on my back. I'm living on a bush uh, just south of downtown. Wow. So uh, now don't look at me that way, Art. It was it was a really nice bush. <laughs> it was, <laughs> It's like any real estate, location and location and location. So I was near St. Vincent de Paul. I was yes. near the bus routes. I was near legal services, and I, I needed legal services in the courts because I was now being arrested in... Sheriff Joe's Joe Arpaio's jail back then. He was the sheriff of Maricopa County. And so I was in and out of his jail and really being arrested for being homeless. Mm. So what I figured out, a couple of things during this path, is that, um, is that I was being released from jail with the same drug problem that I was arrested with, only I'd been introduced to a lot of people just like me that uh, it's kind of a gladiator school, how to be a better addict.
1: I picked a uh a cla- a, 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 Clause out of your uh, out of your information that I was given prior to the show, homeless survival crimes. Yes, explain that. So
2: a homeless survival crime could be shoplifting. You're hungry, mm-hmm. you know. But I was not really doing that. What I was being arrested for was criminal trespassing, loitering, criminal damage, things like that. Um, I remember uh, going home to my parents, and my parents are not enablers in the least. They have a I I used to say they have a black belt in tough love. Uh, I called them and told them I was coming home. They had me arrested, you know, for Uh trespassing on their property. So that's unfortunately how we must treat addiction sometimes: Mm -hmm. is you close every door except for the door to treatment. And I just wasn't willing to go to treatment at that time.
1: Yeah, I'm going to take a moment, and uh, in case we have some listeners that are late to to the show, uh, my guest is Jeff Taylor. Government Affairs and and Arizona, registered lobbyist, but we're talking about his life story here and overcome with addictions and uh, on the streets as homeless. So um, I, I wrote down one little thing here. Maybe we haven't gotten to it yet. You might mention this in your story. There's something about a judge and Salvation Army. Tell me that yes. story.
2: So addiction doesn't stay the same. It gets worse over time. So I'm a misdemeanor guy at this point mm-hmm. under our criminal code. And then to feed that addiction, individuals like myself become more and more desperate, and we come in, we turn into people that we really abhor. And I had turn in, turned into a thief. I call that drug-motivated crime. I wouldn't steal anything unless I was stealing it to uh, supply you know, the money that was needed to continue my addiction. So now I'm in the felony realm, and I uh, am arrested in Prescott, and then extradited to Flagstaff where I had a theft charge in Flagstaff, and they're not letting go of me anymore. I have a $15,000 bail, I'm not getting out of jail, so I'm in there for several months. And I got very ill while I was in that jail, and it was a very strange illness. The only symptom I had was I just couldn't eat. Very weird. I wasn't nauseous, I didn't have a temperature, no headache. Just. Complete lack of, of appetite. So I'm losing about a pound a day. I didn't eat in that jail for almost 30 days. Oh, I'm Lord. literally dying in this jail. And yeah. the sheriff, wonderful man, Sheriff Joe Richards, uh, he was the first person that treated me like the human being that I was. He ran some medical tests and those tests came back. Sheriff told me himself uh, and he was visibly shaken that I was HIV positive. And that was in 1994 which was a two- or three-year death sentence. Um, Now, we have long-term survivors from the 90s, but at that time, we didn't know that. So that was a pretty horrible death. And at the same time, I was given a plea agreement from the courts that would send me to prison for either four or five or six years, and that would be up to the judge. And so I've just been told that I'll never see freedom again, and I'm going to die a pretty horrible death. In this uh, in Arizona Department of Corrections, our prison system here in the state, and that's a bad day, yeah, that's a bad
1: day, yeah, not welcomed yeah. so um, so you made it how did you come out of that?
2: Well, I was placed in because I now have a dead and I used a needle once, you know, and that's how you know a bloodborne disease is passed, mm-hmm. um, so that's all it takes. So I'm now placed in solitary confinement after been giving those news because I have a deadly blood-borne disease, and I was in that cell for 30 days, and I would say maybe in the second or third day, in the dark, not knowing if it's day or night, that's when God decided to reveal himself to me in nice. that cell.
1: That's when you came to Christ. Yeah. Wow.
2: And. You know, people say that's just such an awful place to be, and I Mm -hmm. challenge that because I am now away from all of the world's distractions. And you become very sensitive to God's message, Holy Spirit. With me, it was a feeling. um, And I—you know when you're a child and you're scared and you just want to feel secure and you want to feel loved? Now take that feeling— times 100. It was absolutely overwhelming. It was instantaneous. And all of a sudden I had purpose and I had hope. And I knew that God had a plan for me. I had no idea what the plan was, but I knew it was going to be okay. Yes. And then and, miracles and it's better
1: said, than the other plans you had.
2: Oh, I did tell a judge one time in court, I said, Your Honor, I have a plan. And the judge said, everybody hold everything. We have a homeless drug addict with a plan. Let's all hear it. So miracles started to occur. I was uh, taken out of that cell after 30 days. They had ran some more tests and HIV was not
1: present. So uh you you something happened uh during that time I think you were imprisoned. I have written down here prison reform. Mm-hmm. You 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 did something with your lobbyist school skills to create something about reform uh what is that about
2: well and that's just designed after what happened to me so i'm released from the cell they ran some more tests and the the sheriff again comes to me and says well we don't you're not hiv positive there's we can't explain it actually the sheriff uh after this you know it said you got a lot of people scratching their heads up here And then another bigger miracle, believe it or not, in the Arizona court system is that the judge broke away from that four-, five-, or six-year plea agreement, Mm -hmm. and he sentenced me to the Salvation Army drug treatment program here in Phoenix. Very difficult program, and I was released to a behavioral health pathway is what I needed and very difficult six-month residential program. That program is free, by the way. Where can you get six months of residential drug treatment for free?
1: Absolutely, yeah.
2: So it's a difficult program. We had to get up and go to work every day. We had to do chores. I mean, we were running a huge property. Uh, I was the dishwasher, and I just learned that um, I am not being humiliated, I'm being humbled by God, and I was gonna be the best dishwasher on the planet. I could have, you know what, I'm gonna be a skillful commercial dishwasher. Graduated the program, Salvation Army sent me back to school, and I ran um, the—and got a 4.0. I never got a 4.0 in college. (laughs) And it's just how God changes one, you know, in in your priorities, and I worked hard at that. And I—another miracle is I became licensed to run uh, a DHS-licensed nursery for children of homeless and drug-addicted parents. And I saw 28 drug-free babies born there where the mothers were uh, suffering from addiction and we kept the families together and got the mother healthy and therefore that child was not removed and put into state care. So it was a tremendously uh, wonderful experience. But to your question, the legislation that I got involved with because of this marvelous life-changing program, which was on uh, Van Buren and 27th Avenue, and it closed due to lack of funding. It was very expensive to run and it was a it was a sad day in Arizona when that program closed. Wow. And I noticed that in the paper, I just picked up the paper one day and I noticed that our Arizona legislature had appropriated, I think it was sixty two million dollars to build bigger prisons. Now I avoided prison by going to drug treatment and they didn't the state didn't need that prison. Sell for me. Yeah. Well, there were 134 other people there that were diverted from a prison system. And I'm like, well, this is the solution. And so, what do we need to do to change laws so we can get people down the same pathway that I was blessed to have? And so, I showed up at the legislature. I didn't have a car, rode a bike, and just started educating lawmakers. The first bill that I worked on has released. 20,000 people from our prison wow. system in the state of Arizona since inception into the same pathway. I'm no genius. I just, you know, <laughs> I just, what that judge gave me, which was a, he gave me grace yep. in the courtroom. And then I just kind of put that into a law. I don't know how to write legislation, but God does.
1: (laughs) Senate Bill 1093, right? Uh,
2: 1093 is one (laughs) of them because it's been expanded on who qualifies for the program. So more and more people now go into that program, and about one in four inmates being released from our prison system today um, get this program. And this program, and this is very key to everyone listening, is that we reward good behavior by people in prison. They're released early. We save money there. They're put into a program that's highly effective that has reduced recidivism by over sixty-six-zero percent, making our community safer. So not only are we saving money, we're making it safer within the prisons because yep. we're rewarding good behavior, so people aren't getting in fights and you know dealing drugs and things like that, and get them into a program that they need, and it's in decreased crime in our communities by people getting
1: out of prison by more
2: than half. Of course.
1: So uh, we've, we're in our last uh, six or six minutes or so. Uh, you mentioned bicycle. Mm-hmm. You had an accident. Yes, and it took you back into the world of addiction.
2: Yes. So in two thousand, uh, early two thousands, I was now racing bicycles, and wow. I was out training in Paradise Valley, where there's not supposed to be any cars up in the hills there, and I found the one car that day. <laughs> And was hit almost head on by a car oh and I gosh. broke some ribs and a chest wall injury that were misdiagnosed. They I went had a full, you know, markup and the doctor cleared me and I ended up racing in the national mountain bike championships. Uh it's called the Seattle Classic in Monterey, California. And I ended up uh winning that race but at the same time I had broken ribs that did a lot of damage during that race, you know. Mm. Ribs are yeah. affected by deep breathing, and you're breathing pretty hard. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, I went to prison. Uh, that led to a relapse. Addiction is very patient. Mm-hmm. And that led to a relapse, sent me back to prison. And I would thank God every day for that. I went to prison in 2008 for two years. And I really learned how we can work collaboratively, collaboratively with our prison system to really improve our outcomes.
1: That's incredible, and that that's, the statistics are incredible, Un, you know, um, um, unbelievably almost, almost. But that's a, that's a, what's happening right now because it's a God-designed program because of that. So uh, back to the Salvation Army mm-hmm. after that, so, and uh, and let us know what's.
2: So I was released, and Governor Ducey um, heard about my story, and he hired me as an outside of government. Uh, advisor on criminal justice, addiction, homelessness. Mm-hmm. And since Governor Ducey has been in office, he has not appropriated any money f- to build another prison bed in the state of Arizona. Nice. And put more and more money into reducing recidivism. So I thank him and his staff for listening. Yeah. Because I talked to four different governors before him, but Governor Ducey listened. Wow. In other
1: states or here?
2: Here. Okay. Yes, I started with wow. Governor Jane Hull. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, knew Jane pretty well. Uh, I was, I helped start, uh, Amber Alert here in the state and she was the governor that did the press conference for that. Remember that? Yeah. So, um, we're running out of time, I assume the last couple of minutes, but, um, how can someone, uh, find out you if they want to talk to you, can they contact you? Certainly. Okay.
2: Yeah. I have an email address and it's, uh, Called lead by experience at cox dot net. Art, I never led by example, but I can lead by experience. experience. Yes, I love it. And uh, oh, incidentally, and after Governor Ducey, you know, uh, you know, really listened. Governor Brewer did too. Uh, she was she was really very interested in the work that I was doing when she was governor. Um, the Salvation Army invited me on to their Phoenix Advisory Board here in Phoenix, and I still sit on that board. I'm leaving here to go to a board meeting. And then I am also the chair of the adult rehabilitation centers that are the drug treatment programs in the Salvation Army, and I chair the board for the Western United States, which is Denver to Honolulu.
1: Oh, good for you. And and, and they needed you. They needed your background, and, you know, it's how God works, Right. You don't. You didn't know at the time what he was preparing you for, but without going through all you went through, you were ready for this. Absolutely, yeah.
2: And God was preparing me for that. And I don't. Uh, I don't. You know, His proverb says, "God corrects those He loves." <laughs> and I used to think He must love me a lot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one one more time, the your your website is. Uh,
2: it's an email address. So email, uh, email is leadbyexperience at cox
1: dot net. Awesome. So, uh, Jeff, you may not know it, but you are a rescuer. So God bless you, and thank you for being on the show today.
2: All right, such a pleasure.
1: God bless.